0: You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway.
1: Let's hear from Professor Mohamed Marandi, who is the Chair of American Studies at the University of Tehran. Uh, Professor Marandi, thank you for joining us. I'm intrigued by your job. Uh, many people would be surprised that there's a Department of American Studies in the University of Tehran. Uh, Tell us first, uh, are there a lot of students queuing up to learn American studies?
2: Well, our program is a graduate studies program. We have both an MA as well as a PhD program. It's been going, the MA program has been going on for roughly 16 years now, and I think the PhD program, 12, 13 years. So We've had lots of students and lots of graduates, and some of them are now professors, others are abroad. Some are, most are in Iran, doing work in different places at research institutes, media, and uh, other places as well.
1: And are you any closer to understanding the United States of America and why it seems to be bent on war around the world? Well,
2: the United States is a very very complicated country. And that's one reason or the main reason why uh, we have an American Studies program. It is obviously of great concern for Iranians how the United States behaves and why it behaves in such a manner. So we at the University of Tehran set up this program so that people in Iran could have a better understanding. Of course, there are many programs in Iran that are linked to American studies. Almost all universe, all universities, I think, in Iran have English departments. Uh, most important universities, if not all of them, have international relations, politics. So uh, America, the United States is studied in one form or another in Iran, whether it's in the social sciences, fine arts, cinema, or the American Studies program as uh, I'm involved with.
1: Very interesting. Now, uh, let's uh, we'll come back to America uh, indubitably, but uh, this week uh, the new prime minister of Israel said he was ready for war uh, with your country. I happen to know that your country is ready for war with him if he starts one. So how serious is this?
2: as we speak i have not heard anyone take him seriously in iran israel is a very small country half the population is palestinian and they're subjugated so the israeli regime has to spend a lot of energy keeping these people uh down Uh, the israelis have not done well in their war with gaza a small landlocked surrounded Population which is half, which is starving of medicine and electricity and clean water, yet uh, they held their own. The the Israelis did not dare to enter Gaza despite killing uh, large numbers of innocent civilians. And the Gazans, despite the fact that their missile technology, which is new to them, is still uh, not highly developed, many of their missiles did get through the so-called iron dome so when the israeli regime fails against the uh, subjugated people of gaza uh, who are living in the as we all have heard many times the largest concentration camp on this planet they're not really in a position to talk much about uh, a war against iran if the Israelis strike iran uh, the, the israel israel is a small country iran would counter strike with probably hundreds if not thousands of missiles, and uh, I don't really think the Israelis want that.
1: Why say it then? I mean, uh, you know, there's a limit to how much uh, the school bully can continue to cow people merely by issuing threats. Uh, Now and again, he's got to live up to the threats.
2: I think there are probably two things that come to mind uh, and seem to make a lot of sense right now one is internal politics Uh, israel is a right wing the 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 country has turned to the right it's very right wing and the country is also deeply divided the netanyahu supporters would want to bring down this government as soon as possible both compete to look tough in the eyes of as i said a very right-wing israeli society the second i think is uh, the legacy of arrogance. They've been uh, the bully on the block, as you've pointed out for a very long period of time, but the world has changed. Lebanon has changed. Hezbollah is a very powerful force. As soon as the Israelis began uh, firing sh- shells into Lebanon well, and bombing the country that Hezbollah retaliated and the Israelis stopped. In the same is true in Gaza. And of course, we see Yemen on the rise. We see Syria uh, surviving this onslaught uh, of extremists and tens of thousands of foreign fighters brought into the country by its antagonists. And the Israelis were part of that. So we sort of see the tide turning against the Israeli regime. But this legacy of arrogance, I think, is still very much a part of the culture of this apartheid state.
1: Aren't they implicitly, though, threatening uh, you and indeed others uh, with America's army? They're hoping they can draw the United States into a conflict.
2: Yes, everyone in this region allied to the United States wants to use the Americans as their armed forces, whether it's the Israelis or the Saudis or the Emiratis. But I think uh, here too, the world has changed dramatically. The United States in 2001 was the superpower. And we all recall how easily they went into Afghanistan and how easily they went into Iraq, despite all the anti-war protests, such as the one in London, which I participated in, by the way. But the United States back then was the sole superpower. It had a lot of uh, support, unfortunately, and uh, a lot of uh, material capability and uh, economic resources to to use in these wars. But the United States is, after spending almost, I don't know, maybe $9, 10000000000000 trillion now, they are withdrawing from Afghanistan. They're cutting costs in Iraq. This is a very different United States. And on the other hand, in 2001, uh, China was a very different country. Russia was a very different country. These, these Ch- Russia had just begun to emerge from the ashes of the post-Soviet Union era. And China was just beginning to emerge. So now the United States has very powerful rivals. The United States is badly weakened because of its own foolishness in this region. And Iran, which was an isolated country, surrounded to the west by Saddam Hussein and to the east by the Taliban, which the Americans actually helped bring to power, the Americans and the Saudis, which that's a a story in itself. Uh, It's now the most influential country in, in West Asia. Iran has allies in Iraq and Syria and Lebanon in Yemen in Afghanistan, and uh, Iran's antagonists, U.S. allies, are on the back foot. The Saudis are tired of war, the Israeli regime we've discussed. So the situation is very different from before.
1: Indeed so. Uh, And this is the law of unintended consequences again, isn't it? Uh, That's exactly true. They have have pushed Russia and China very much uh, close together economically in terms of currency, and perhaps most importantly, militarily, the interoperability, joint uh, war games and fantastic uh, development of of, uh, weapon systems, particularly in Russia, uh, anti-aircraft, and also now uh, jet fighter technology, which is not just cutting edge, but out of sight of uh, other countries. Uh, And they've made uh, this block of China and Russia. And now uh, they've made a block of China, Russia, and Iran. And Iran already has, as you said, all these allies right across that crescent from Iran, through Iraq, into Syria, into Lebanon. Uh, Is foreign policy run by idiots in the West?
2: Definitely, I I can't see uh, any other explanation. The uh, Iran has for hundreds of years been oriented towards the West because they've dominated this country. The second language here is English. At all universities, we study English as our second language. Most of our textbooks are translations from English uh, textbooks. uh, many young people go to english-speaking countries to get their phds or to to continue their studies but when the united states constantly and, and when its allies constantly antagonize iran then gradually you see iran shift away from the united states in europe we see that now china is much more of an important trading partner for iran than western countries so when western countries sanction the country, they impose maximum pressure camp, uh, maximum pressure sanctions to, to make ordinary people suffer as much as possible. Not only does that create hatred and contempt among politicians and the population, but it also creates an incentive for Iran to move towards those countries that open their doors and carry out trade or behave in a friendly manner. And that, of course, includes countries like Russia and China. And the same is true for China and Russia. When the United States and the Europeans try to isolate China, then they have an incentive to move closer towards Iran and Iran's allies. And the same is true with Russia. So the fools in the White House, as well as the fools in Western capitals, just like the fools in Tel Aviv, I think they make m- many of their decisions based upon this tradition of arrogance, this feeling of being exceptional, but they don't have the power that they once have. They don't have the capabilities that they once have. And I think we're seeing sort of multiple Suez moments uh, as we move along during the last few years. And I think in the months and years ahead, we'll be seeing more of that.
1: Now, you have a new president uh, described normally as hardline. Uh, You're in talks in Vienna. Process hasn't finished. Uh, Do you expect uh, the United States to re-enter the nuclear deal?
2: The reason why they call the new president in Western countries a hardliner is because he is very... He's adamant that Iran's sovereignty must be preserved. No one believes that he's being hard-lined towards Argentina or Brazil or Bolivia or Venezuela or South Africa or Morocco or India or China. The issue is the United States. And the problem is that the United States is not willing to treat Iran as an equal country. It's not willing to treat the Iranian people with respect. And this, a good example of this, was the nuclear deal that was signed in 2015. After the deal, under Obama, the United States failed to abide by its commitments, whereas Iran did. Under Trump, the United States tore the agreement. And under Biden, the United States is still pursuing Trump's policies. And then recently in Vienna, during the negotiations, the Americans and the Europeans, they demanded new concessions and they also demanded that many of the sanctions that were imposed after the deal that violate the deal in in the, the spirit of the deal that they remain in place and that Iran uh, adds new uh, a new con new um,
1: uh, conditions are imposed
2: yeah. upon Iran in order for the deal to be implemented and that's not the the JCPOA so. When the United States treats Iran as such, then I, I, I find it very difficult for us to move back to the JCPOA, JcPOA or the nuclear deal under these circumstances. If the Americans and the Europeans continue to expect that Iran give more than was that than what was already agreed upon, which is appeasement. I don't think we're going to have a deal because I don't see Iran appeasing the United States or the Europeans.
1: And if you don't have a deal, you'll continue to enrich uranium uh, outside of the terms of the original deal, correct?
2: Absolutely. Iran has gone back to the NPT and the regulations within the IAEA. So Iran is allowed to do what it's doing today within the framework of international law but not within the framework of the nuclear deal. But if the other side does not abide by the deal, then Iran is not going to abide by its commitment either. So Iran is going to develop its enrichment program, it's going to develop its nuclear program, as far as possible within the framework of international law. And there's also another element to it. While Iranians are suffering, and There is no doubt that Iranians are suffering. The Americans and the Europeans are trying to make ordinary Iranians suffer as much as possible. This is a war war against ordinary people, these sanctions. However, Obama himself, when he initiated these maximum pressure sanctions, it wasn't Trump who started this. It was Obama. And then there was a deal, and then we got to Trump. When Obama signed, after the United States signed the JCPOA, along with Iran and other countries, because the United States accepted Iran's right to enrichment. Then the Iranians agreed to talk. And then we had the deal. When he faced criticism for signing the deal, Obama himself said, these sanctions will not last forever. Gradually, the the sanctions regime will fall apart. And I wanted to sign a deal before that process began. So this is something that Obama himself admitted. The Iranians are are already passing through the worst of these sanctions. And it is gradually finding new partners, also enabling or finding the, the capability inside the country to over to, to overcome some of the problems that were created by the sanctions. It's still tough, but it's no longer as bad as it was two, three years ago. So as Russia and China and other countries rise as Iran rises further, as the United States and its allies find it more difficult, the sanctions regime is going to derode even more swiftly. So time is not on the side of the Americans or the Europeans, but still it's that arrogance that, that prevents them from behaving sensibly, signing the deal, going back to 2015 and engaging with Iran as a normal country. It's not possible for them, it seems, at least at the moment.
1: Professor, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for joining us on the Mother of All Talk Shows. I'm glad you were on our demonstration too. Now, I I slightly exaggerated, sometimes I do. Uh, Downloads of the podcast last week were up 80%. I said they had doubled. Uh, 49 countries downloaded our uh, podcast from Greece to Gibraltar to Ghana. To Gambia. In fact, this, Justin, how about this? Just treasure this. Tonight, we are the number one political podcast in Egypt. Thank you for all the great reviews you've been leaving on Apple Podcasts and including this one. In British politics, Mr. Galloway stands as the last bastion of sense. Like a fine wine, he gets better with age. I have been a fan of his since 2002. I would recommend anyone to listen to him. The best podcast around. That is from Sarah Lyop. Thank you very much indeed. That was a touching testimony. Thank you so much. If you do listen, give a five-star review. Why don't you?
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.